Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to start a new study in a book. So we did for the last, um, I guess it was four weeks, three or four weeks, uh, something that we called Equipping the Saints, and we were working through some of the concepts of what it means to do works of ministry, where Paul's um, writing to the church at Ephesus describes leadership gifts that have been given to the church to equip everybody to do the works of ministry. And then we look through what are the works of ministry by looking at the life of Jesus and then those first 12 disciples who became apostles and then 72 others, then finally everyone who followed Jesus. And that's how it came about that uh, a week or two ago, we were two weeks ago, we were praying for Michelle in front of you as a demonstration. It was a teaching moment, a modeling of how we might effectively pray for people. And then we closed it off last week with uh, the, the funny, that was the weirdest sermon, Ron, where, where we talked about taking care of the goose. Does anyone remember that? Yeah. that well, if, if you remembered it, then it worked. Yeah. The, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen to it on our, our podcast, gracetalks.org. Gracetalks.org will take you. I, I used the Aesop's fable story of the goose that laid the golden egg and the... Um, the farmer who got greedy and wanted to get all the golden eggs right away, so he killed the goose, but then there were no eggs. You know the story, right? And then I said, you know, it, it's, um, if you'll permit me this, this leap, I feel like if the works of ministry that we love to see, the caring of the poor, the feeding of the hungry, the healing of the sick, the embracing of the lonely and the downcast, the love, the, all the works of the kingdom that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, if those are like the golden eggs, then the goose that produces the eggs is actually the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. And the point was, I feel like in doing works of ministry, we needed to remember that caring, feeding, making sure that the church, not just our church, but the whole church, is flourishing and thriving is the resource from which God does the work of ministry. So you all remember that, right? And that's a, a true saying. Take care of love, the body of Christ. Take care of the bride of Christ. Take care of the church. Think through, is what I'm doing today going to build up the church of Jesus Christ locally and abroad? Is what I'm saying going to build up or hurt? As Christians, we need to be building and caring for. Well, today we turn a corner now, and we're going to do actually start a book study where we read through a book of the Bible together. Has anyone ever read 1 John? So if those of you that haven't, there's a guy by the name of John who's really a big figure in the story of the New Testament. He is a fisherman. He has a brother named James. He's been fishermen partners with another couple of guys named Philip and Andrew, and they all become disciples and apostles. Uh, John is, by most accounts, thought to be the closest friend of Jesus on earth when they're physically together. There's the 12 disciples that are close to him. There's three, Peter, James, and John, that seem especially close, and you find them in special places just alone with Jesus. But then you see John 
really alone with Jesus. He's the one at the Last Supper who sits next to Jesus and leans back and lays his head against Jesus' chest while they're eating. There's this picture of intimacy. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's either a lot of chutzpah or he really is. So he goes on to be the oldest living of the apostles. Near the end of the first century, probably around 90, even as late as 95 A.D., John is still alive. All the other disciples have been martyred. John writes the Gospel of John. It's in the beginning of your Bible, or beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote that. He also wrote the book that's at the end of your Bible, the book of Revelation. John's the guy that got that revelation about Jesus. Revelation, by the way, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you wonder what, what's being revealed, Jesus is being revealed in that book. That might be a key to interpreting, by the way, if you're ever going to read it. It's about Jesus. He also wrote three really short letters, kind of general letters. They're often called epistles, those letters that are written to churches to grow, and Christians to grow in the faith. Um, so one of them, really short near the end of the Bible, is 1 John, we call it. There's three letters, so we call them 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, in, when you read his writings, you get, or I get the distinct impression, and I think you will too, that he is alive. Now, he's an old man. He's gone through persecution. They've tried to kill him. The emperor's tried to kill him, and he just doesn't seem to want to die. They can't kill him because God saves him. And he's preaching into, he's like in his 90s, and he's preaching with passion and joy and a, just this, this essence of life. And I wanted to read his book and I, with us, see what he had to say for us by his example and by his instruction. So there's the example of what he says. You hear his, his lifestyle, and you also hear specific instructions in this short little book. And I thought, what is it that we should think about, drive into this, this book as like a title for a, a series? And we could have talked about living a life of love, because he's going to talk about love all through the book. This guy is so dripping with love. He knows how to receive love. He knows how to give love. He talks about love nonstop. And the book is all about deep relationship with God and with each other. He, he brings in some words that... They don't even translate into English well. We just use the word fellowship, but it means so much more. So we could have talked about that, but I thought, you know, I, I think what I want to title this and put our attention into is this phrase, thriving for a lifetime. What, would it, what is it about this guy? How did he live so that in his late 90s, nearing the end of his life, he's still thriving? Do you want to thrive for your lifetime or do you want to survive? You want to survive both, Paul says. Paul is very pragmatic. If you haven't met Paul, I want to do both. I want to survive and thrive. So, so we're going to just read through some of the, the first chapter. There may be some of you already read. And we'll, we'll talk through some principles, see what we can learn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for calling apostles together, Jesus. Thank you for giving them so much authority. Thank you for giving them the ability to write words that were breathed by the Holy Spirit so that we have the 
essence of the word of God. Preserved to this day, armies have marched against this book, but they never conquer it. You've preserved for 2,000 years now the writings of the people you called to yourself. Thank you for this book. We pray, we pray, oh God, as we approach your word, that we will experience the reverence and the passion and the joy of what it is to know God fully and to know love and to know relationship. And that we'll learn from John's example and from his teaching how we can thrive for a lifetime. Let that be our portion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. By the way, this, these four verses in your Bible, in, this, this is written in Greek. John's writing in Koine Greek in the first century, which would have been the language that everyone would pretty much know. It, it's actually one long sentence. John, unlike Paul, who writes like a Greek, you know, making rhetoric and arguments and these just kind of John writes more like a poet, and you feel that in his writing. He's more like a psalmist, like writing one of the Proverbs. And you might pick some of that up. So here's what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's an eyewitness. He has seen touched, felt, experienced. He is an eyewitness of something profound that happened when Jesus came. The life appeared. Notice the, the word of life, and now the life. The life appeared. We've seen to it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's talking about Jesus, if you didn't catch it, word of life the eternal one. He's talking about Jesus, life itself becoming incarnate, becoming human. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, so here we're going to get his purpose. Why is he doing, why is he proclaiming his experience of the eternal life that became flesh, that he touched, that he heard, that he saw, that he experienced so fully? Why would he proclaim that? So that you also may have fellowship with, and if you were going to guess, you'd think with God, but that's not what he says, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And then the next thought, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And then another purpose statement, we write this to make our joy complete. I want to take some words and start at the end and then work back to the beginning. The, the first word there is that I want to start with is the end word, joy. So joy is a sense of well-being. Things are good in the world inside my soul when I have joy. It can be separate from circumstance, often completely separate, distinct from my circumstances, which may not at all be happy. I can have the sense of well-being. But it's not just joy that John's writing so that he and we would experience. It's complete joy. Complete joy is when you've got so much joy, you can't have any more joy. That's a life that's thriving. 
You've got such a sense of well-being that it's filled to the brim and you couldn't hold any more in. I guess if you tried to get any more in, you'd just burst into laughter and fall down. Because you've got so much joy. The next word going back, where he said, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Fellowship translates a word, well, do you know, who knows what the word is? Any guesses? Say it again. Koinonia. Have you ever heard that word, koinonia? So that's a Greek word, but many Christians have studied this enough to have heard this word, koinonia. And I was talking with my friend Dustin yesterday, and he said he heard that the actual the Greek pronunciation is gunanija. Because it kind of means that, I'm going to need you. That was a joke. But a joke with meaning that maybe you'll remember, like take care of the goose. So koinonia describes a rich, rich fellowship, a sharing. In fact, the word comes from a word that means common or having in common or having sharing. And I, I've looked through all sorts of Bible dictionaries and um, the lexicons and commentators, and it, it takes a long time to describe the full meaning of this word. But then, surprisingly enough, a, a, the smallest sort of boil it down, I found on gotquestions.org, which I wouldn't have expected, but they seem to do the best job of putting together what would take me maybe a half an hour or 15 minutes at least to read to you from all of the the wisdom on this word. Here's what he, they, they say. The New Testament word, Greek word, primarily meaning fellowship, sharing in common, communion. Koinonia is being in agreement with one another, being united in purpose. It means serving alongside each other. By the way, when I talk with that, I'm hoping your, your mind's going to imagining times you've experienced this. Imagine you're experiencing um, the times you have had a team, Michael, go out into the streets and share, united in purpose, working alongside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and each other and experiencing a profound connection of oneness as the life of God flows through you to another person in need, and together you're sharing the life of Jesus, you're sharing the life of each other, you're sharing the pain of another, you're connected so beautifully that it's, there's not a good word for it in English. Fellowship just doesn't cover that. The word is koinonia. I'm going to need you. We need each other. So, now remember just this little phrase, this one long sentence that John told us, which I think is exemplary of how he lives in order to thrive in life for a lifetime. He's having complete joy by sharing the experience he's had of koinonia, fellowship with God, with others. So they have fellowship with him and with us with the Father and the Son. And there's life and joy that's complete. Now, backing up a little farther, he talked about the word of life. And you probably, let me see if how many of you know this. Um, 
what, what is the Greek word that probably is being used that comes out word in English? Say it loud. Logos. It's logos, which is not a logo on your building. It's logos. And it's an interesting word that contains a lot of meaning that you can kind of feel inside of here, I think. So the, the Greeks, the philosophers of Greek, understood this word logos to encapsulate the meaning, the reasoning, the purpose of everything. So you kind of, you have, it's hinting toward what is the source of things. The meaning, the reason, the purpose of everything is in this word logos. It's a big word. But in the Old Testament, the word carries the sense of authority, of disclosing who you are, opening yourself up to explain who you are, God doing this. It has the sense of making a decision, and it has the sense of action. So he takes all of that together, using the thought of, Word in the Old Testament is like, and God said, let there be light, and out of his logos there was light. His word discloses what he wants to do. His word discloses his character so you can know what he's like. His word is decisive. It's powerful. And then combined with the Greek understanding that logos means the, the meaning and reasoning and purpose behind everything, that all of that has come together in the word, the logos, of life. Life that is eternal, meaning without beginning and without end. And that life has somehow, it's at this point, intangible, completely hard to understand. It's kind of ethereal. What do you mean? Concept, reasoning, purpose, authoritative, you know, disclosing, all these words. Oh, Ron, that's confusing. Well, it wasn't confusing when all of that came together in a man named Jesus that John hung out with and experienced and touched and listened to and saw. The power of that experience the life, the word of life, the eternal life, the meaning, the purpose behind everything became human and we saw him, we touched him, we talked to him and I want you to know what I experienced because if you know the fellowship that I experienced, then you too can join in fellowship with me, koinonia with me, and I will join with you and me in fellowship and koinonia with God, the Father and the Son. And out of that, we will experience complete joy. That is the essence of thriving for a lifetime. Life has broken into our world, and it's joyful. Now, uh, in the time that, Paul's, that John's writing this, there's already a heresy, a false teaching about God that's broken in, into the scene called Gnosticism. Has anyone ever heard of Gnosticism? So the Gnostics are, are, are like party poopers. I mean, they just like suck the joy out of life. They thought, well, you know, spiritual is good, but physical is bad. So I don't know if you know, God is not against the physical. You know, I think God likes sports. I was at a rugby game, Michael came, and we were having fellowship. Yeah, there you go. I, my friend I was talking with, uh, Dustin, again yesterday, 
he, he one time was thinking about sports, and he said, you know, he, he thought he heard the Lord say, I created sports so that fatherless children would be discipled. What a thought. And that's what happens in it. So the Gnostics would say, the physical is so bad that Jesus didn't even come in the flesh. He was some kind of spiritual phenomena. And that was starting to go around the world. Jesus wasn't really physical. And John's going, what, are you kidding me? I was with him. And you know, there's no better testimony in court than eyewitness testimony. And he's going, you can trust me. I was with him. We were with him. We hung out with him. We slept around the same campfire. We ate the same food. We went to the same places. We were in the same fishing boat. We experienced the same presence of God. I was there on the mountain when he was transfigured and light came upon him and light came through him and he was just like radiant. I was there at the transfiguration. I experienced him. I saw him. I touched him. I have come in contact with that which is not even understandable, became understandable by the very presence of Jesus. And I want to proclaim him to you so you can have fellowship with me. And we can have fellowship with each other. And in that koinonia, we will have life. We live in a world system where success is primarily measured by how much you can accomplish and how much stuff can you get. Who's successful? Elon Musk. Look at all that he's accomplished. Why, he even made a rocket to go to space. Amazing electric cars. Brilliant ideas. He's produced so much stuff. We live in America where we, we have the invention, thanks to Henry Ford, of the assembly line, where we can really produce a lot of stuff efficiently and fast. We can just roll out those cars on the assembly line, and if we do it well, we can get lots of money and have more goodies. That's what success is like in our world. That's a false success that will not bring joy. And we who've come to Christ have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness where success is measured by accomplishment and stuff into the kingdom of God where success is measured in terms of how well you love, how well you experience love, how well you give love, how well you can experience the love of the Father into you, his pleasure that's successful. His love for you like a father that's the perfect father. And then out of that, your love for others. If you are successful in God's kingdom, it's measured in terms of relationship and love. John is thriving in life. And these words we just read are all about entering into the eternal, immeasurable kind of love. Now, just stop for a second if you haven't thought of this. Have you heard that God is love? Have you heard that God is eternal? Never started. Always been. Do you understand that love is not love without an object to be loved? So it's already, if, if someone knocks on your door and says, did you know there's no such thing as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, just stop and go, well, then how is God love? In order for God to be loved, he had to have someone to love. And the answer is in the fact that God the Father 
loves God the Son, who has always existed, and God the Holy Spirit, who's always existed. And those three who are one are a community of pure love, exuberant joy by themselves. God is love. Jesus always existed, and that's, always, that's in there, what we just read. Jesus, the eternal one, became flesh, lived among us. And John's experience is for thriving in life. This is how you can thrive in life for a lifetime. Having experienced the life and the love of Jesus, I then invite you to experience his life with me. And together, we experience his life in us and through us. And the result is joy that's complete. Have you had moments of poinonia with friends who also love Jesus and you left feeling so overfilled with joy? The circumstances didn't matter. It's pretty simple, huh? How could it be any more simple? Just love? Yeah. Well, what did Jesus say? What are the two greatest commandments? Well, all the law and prophets are fulfilled in these. Love God, love others. The way John thrived in life for a lifetime was to continually experience the love of God, inviting others into the experience he had, proclaiming the eternal life that he's experienced so that we together can have fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. And when we do that, our joy is complete. Life is broken into our world. We're sharing it. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in our life. It doesn't matter if we've accomplished much or accomplished nothing. It doesn't matter if we have much or have nothing. We have the essence of life, which is the love of God and the love of each other in deep, rich koinonia, fellowship. Here's a, word, a verse that's worth reading. It's related to this Hebrew one. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful logos word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So I was saying that my greatest joy in life has come in the moments of relationship and koinonia with people, with you, many of you. I want to look from another angle at this, why this is so powerful. Because in my life, my greatest pain has come from relationships that didn't work right. The greatest pain seems to be relationships that are not God's kind of relationships. Has anyone ever been betrayed by a friend? Doesn't hurt worse than that. Jesus knows how you feel. Judas, his good friend, betrayed him. We like to say in our church that we are identified by these three words, real God, real people, restoring lives. 
You've heard that maybe. We haven't said it a lot lately, but you see it on our website. Um, and the idea is this. We are people who've come to a real God, like John was describing. We experience his presence when we come together, when we worship, when we experience his word, when we fellowship together. It's real. It's legit. It's not religion. We have a real God. And that we are real people. We want to be real people, at least. We want to be authentic. Michelle modeled that for us today. She was just authentic, shared some of her pain on a stage in front of people. And it was real. And, and it felt life-giving. I washed your faces. Real God, real people, real people meaning that we grow best when we are open-faced with each other, when we come together in real, honest relationships that are genuine and caring. And then the third thing was restoring lives, giving it away. We believe and we practice bringing the truth and power of God's word to restore broken lives. Why are lives so broken? Is it because people don't have enough money? In my experience, over and over, people's lives become broken, shattered, perhaps uncontrollable, from usually a root of the pain of relationship. In our experience, I, I, I'm not in recovery, but I've been an, in, around a lot of people and prayed with a lot of people and experienced some of the life of recovery regarding addiction, uh, substance abuse, um, alcohol addiction, narcotics addiction, sexual addiction, gambling addiction, food addiction, all those addictions. In our experience, it seems like, I hate to say 100% of the time, but close to 100% of the time, the root is always a brokenness in relationship that results in shame. And shame is the sense that something is fundamentally wrong with me. I don't have value. You were designed to be born into a family where you receive unconditional love and you are taught by the unconditional love of your parents and your brothers and sisters and grandparents that you are unique and that you are special and that you are valuable and that you have a place in the world. And when that doesn't happen, people think something's wrong with me. They live in shame and they do one of two things. They either act outwardly, aggressively, ragefully, with anger, or they react inwardly with the kind of shame that says, I'm depressed, I'm always negative, there's no hope, I have anxiety. Do you see that? No wonder that the solution that God provides is relationship. We're broken in relationship. We're healed in relationship. Now, it doesn't work perfectly because in the family of God, there are broken people, and sometimes we hurt each other again anyway. But the life and the essence is there as we are growing in Christ to experience a thriving in life that comes from our shared fellowship, our shared koinonia. Listen to those words again with all that in mind. How to thrive in life. What was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen to it and testified it. 
We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father that has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Koinonia with us, and our koinonia is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this so that your and our joy may be filled to the full. The sense of well-being couldn't have any more. That's just the first sentence, and we're out of time. <laughs> I like that someone said, oh, that made me feel good. You want more? <laughs> but it's actually 11.15, so hang on. The next sentence describes what it looks like to live in this life of shared fellowship and joy, walking in the light as God is in the light, living a life where we're not without sin, but we're becoming righteous, and when we have sin, Jesus' blood, his atoning sacrifice, is cleansing us from sins as we walk with him, in love with him, in love with each other, sharing our unified purpose, sharing our stuff, sharing our fellowship, sharing our meals, sharing the life of Jesus. Jesus just doesn't come into your life and add to your life so you can live the life you were living in a better way. Jesus comes into your life and shares his life with yours, and you share your life with his, and together you are communing in life, experiencing the fullness of joy, and that's what it's about. A life that's thriving, a life well-lived is a life of love, from God to God, from you to you, together to the world around us, where we experience a real God. We have real people experiencing real life to each other, with each other. And together, we are reaching out and bringing restorative life to the broken people all around us so that they too can have fellowship with us, so that we can have fellowship together with God the Father and God the Son, so that more of us can come into full joy, so we can go get some more, so we can get some more. So it's as simple as saying, I'm inviting you to follow Jesus with me so that I can be happy and you can be happy. <laughs> That's what we do. Would the worship band come on up? Let's stand together. Did you, did you get a feel that John is kind of alive? I did. I hope you caught that. This guy is passionately alive at the end of his life. What's going to happen is right now is Kant uh, and the band have a song of, of worship they're going to lead us in. And we are going to respond in worship, but also we're going to respond in koinonia with each other. A part of koinonia is when we pray for each other. And there's some people, I hope, <laughs> that will make themselves available down in the front. And if you're here... If you're watching on Zoom, on Facebook Live, and you haven't entered into life, the first thing you need to do is to receive the life of Jesus that's offered to you. Jesus, the life, the word of life, has come into our world. He's broken into time and space lived amongst us on this planet, and then went to a cross and stretched out his hands as they nailed him to the cross. And he said, in sacrificing my life in this way for you, 
I am removing your sins, the thing that separate you from my life, I'm removing them from you if you'll have me. Just put your faith in me that what I'm doing changes everything. If you'll do that, my life will come rushing into your life. And you're alive in the Spirit. So that's the gospel. If you have never given your life to Jesus right now, look to him and just say, Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, I receive you. Come into my life and give me your life. I give you my life as messy as it is. Heal me, forgive me, make me whole. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.